0: Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all this and all the disciples said the same. Verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is a man. him, And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you can to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the soul will perish by the soul. Do you think I cannot appeal to my Father, and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? At that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you, and you did not seize me. But well, all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And all of the disciples left him in fled. This was the word of the uh, well,
1: Lord. good morning, everyone. Uh, wonderful to see you at church this morning. Um, I didn't know Sydney had a wet season, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's been a crazy week, hasn't it? Uh, but great that you uh, have braved the weather here this morning, and uh, for those joining us on Zoom, uh, it's great that you can tune in uh, this morning as well as we uh, turn our attention to God's Word. But uh, um, I think we need to pray to God and uh, ask for His help just to uh, calm our minds and uh, help us to focus uh, after a crazy week as we approach His Word this morning. So uh, please join with me as I meet us in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that uh, you are a God who is in control of all things in this world. Uh, Thank you that in the midst of war and flood and pandemic uh, we can be confident that Jesus is on his throne and that all things are under his sovereign care. And so we pray, Father, that this morning we would be able to rest in him uh, and please um, help us to rid ourselves of all the distractions of the week and the anxieties of our heart this morning as we turn our attention to the things that you say and that we pray, Father, that you would give us understanding of your word and your plans for this world so that we might align our lives to do your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, friends, uh, one of my favourite cartoonists uh, is a person by the name of Michael Lunick. Hands up if you've heard of Michael Lunick. Uh, he's very uh, well known. His uh, works frequently appear in the Sydney Morning Herald and other uh, big publications. Uh, his trademark is that his characters have big noses, as you can see. But the reason why he's such a great cartoonist is because he's able to, in his cartoons, bring out something of the reality of the human condition and so for example if you have a look at uh, this particular cartoon uh, you can see the theme of loneliness can't you Uh, you know all these people sort of all together but they're so apart Um, some of them have uh, arrows sticking in the back of in their backs perhaps they've been stabbed in the back by Some of them have arrows through their heart. Uh, Perhaps they've been heartbroken by uh, other people in their lives. And although they're still holding on to some hope, you can see that they're all holding on to a flower. Um, You can tell that they are lonely and isolated and depressed. It's a very real portrayal of our world, isn't it? And just take that photo, uh, cartoon down. Uh, it's a very real portrayal of our world, isn't it? Uh, you know, we live in a world where people live in huge apartment blocks but don't know their neighbours. Uh, we live in a world where everyone has many, many friends on social media and yet feel very disconnected from one another. We live in a world where sociologists speak of an epidemic of loneliness. Have you ever felt this kind of soul-crushing loneliness in your life? Uh, Michael Mooney himself writes these words. He says, there was all this loneliness in my cartoons and people would say, gee, these characters are so lonely, disconnected and depressed. And I'd say, yeah, well, that's not me. I'm just interested in that because I think it makes for a funny drawing. But later, I understood that it was me in many respects. My hand was doing, ahead of of time, what my head understood. Well, we've been looking at the final chapters uh, in Matthew's Gospel for the past few weeks as uh, Jesus heads towards his suffering and death on the cross. And yet one thing that has been very obvious, and I hope you've been able to see this, is that as he does head to the cross, Jesus becomes more and more alone. We saw last week that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane faces the anguish of what is about to come on his own as his disciples fall asleep around him. And today uh, we will
0: see that this theme continues, we see all his disciples,
1: his closest friends, deserting him. You see, Jesus is no stranger to loneliness. Now, you can see that Jesus himself speaks about his friends deserting him in uh, verses 31 to 35 of chapter 26. Verses 31 to 35 of chapter 26. Uh, If you remember from last week, we did read this passage, but... Uh, Our student minister, BJ, concentrated more on uh, the Garden of Gethsemane narrative rather than these particular verses. And so I'm going to go back to these verses and spend a little bit of uh, time uh, in them together with you this morning. And you can see there in verse 31, Jesus predicting that all his disciples will fall away, don't you? Uh, How does he know this? Well, he knows this because he knows the Scriptures, which has already prophesied that this will happen. Uh, We read it in our Old Testament passage this morning, uh, but Jesus quotes there from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, where it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. God is going to strike Jesus, his son, at the cross, and his sheep will all be scattered desert him but friends i want you to notice the apostle peter's response and his strong denial of what jesus has just said i can see it there in verse 33 don't you if you have your bibles have a look at verse 33 where he says though they all fall away i will never fall away and even when jesus says in verse 34 in more specific terms that Uh, this very night, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Uh, Peter says in verse 35, Even if I must die, I will not deny you. You've got to love Peter, don't you? He's such a loyal character that it's very hard to dislike him. He's even willing to die I mean, I think all the other disciples probably disliked him on this particular night uh, because he basically thinks he's better than all of them. You know, even if all these other phonies deny you, Jesus, um, I'm going to stick with you, he says. But it's very hard to dislike such loyalty from Peter. However, friends, I want you to see that underneath this bravado, there is a serious flaw to Peter. Uh, what is this uh, particular flaw? Well, I hope you can see that Peter here, and in fact all through the Gospels, is in the habit of ignoring Jesus' words. You might remember that this has been a problem for Peter uh, way back in Matthew uh, t- chapter 16, after You know, Peter boldly, uh, you know, confesses Jesus to be the Christ. And Jesus tells him that uh, as the Christ, he's going to suffer and die on the cross and be raised up on the third day. And what does Peter do? Well, he completely ignores that bit. (laughs) He completely ignores what Jesus says about his suffering and death. And he rebukes Jesus and says, no, you're not going to die. And in our passage today, he does the the very same thing, doesn't he? Jesus says that uh, all the disciples will fall away. Not 11 out of the 12, but all of you will fall away. And what does Peter do? Well, he completely ignores Jesus' word and says, no, no, that's not going to happen like that. You see, friends, this is a real danger, even for disciples for it is very possible to be well-intentioned in our Christian lives, but live in such a way that we ignore the things that Jesus says, or don't even bother to find out the things that Jesus says. It's very easy to want to love Jesus, and serve him, and be loyal to him in ways that we think are right, rather than finding out. You know, I used to have a friend who used to come around to our house often, and uh, each time he came around to our house I I served him some coffee. Uh, The only problem is that he hated coffee. Uh, He loved tea, but uh, he hated coffee, in fact he told me many times in the past that he just doesn't like uh, this yucky tasting drink. And yet here I was, you know, keep on serving him this thing that he didn't, didn't like. You see, I was very well intentioned. I wanted to serve my friend something. It's just that I didn't listen to what he was saying. It's often like that with Christian disciples, isn't it? Uh, can you see yourself in Peter like I can? It's so easy to be well intentioned when it comes to serving Jesus, but not listen to him, nor seek to grow in understanding. But here's the astonishing thing, friends. Even though Peter ignores Jesus' words, and even though Jesus knows that all his disciples will fall away and desert him, Jesus says, I will not desert you. That's why in verse 32 he says these wonderful, wonderful words. He says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. In other words, after Jesus dies, he will be raised from the dead and there is going to be a reunion because this Jesus still wants to be with his disciples who have fallen away and deserted him and denied him in their lives. What a wonderful expression of the grace and mercy deserved favour of the Lord Jesus Christ in his passage. So friends, notice the location of this reunion. Jesus says that he will meet them where? In Galilee. Now, why would Jesus want to meet his disciples in Galilee? You think? Now, if it were me... I think I would rather meet them in Jerusalem, don't you think? Wouldn't it make more sense to you know, turn up resurrected in the very place where you were put to death? And wouldn't it make more sense to show up in, in the face of the religious leaders in Jerusalem to let them know that their plan had not worked? Well, in your bulletins, you'll see that I've included a, a map of Israel. Uh, near the time of Jesus. And uh, if you have a look at that map, uh, you can see there that Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. Can you see that? Now, if you know something about the Old History, the old Testament history of Israel, uh, you'll know that the northern part of Israel was actually conquered by the Assyrian army uh, way back in 722 BC. Such that When that happened, uh, Gentiles, or non-Jewish people, started to populate the northern part of of Israel. That's why, in Matthew chapter 4, you might remember that Galilee there is described as the Galilee of the Gentiles. In other words, Galilee was full of people from other nations. It was much more cosmopolitan than the city of Jerusalem. Why is that important? Well, it's important because in God's kindness, the post-resurrection mission of Jesus was always going to be about proclaiming the name of Jesus, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, the Gentile nations of the world, which is why you and I are sitting here this very morning, worshipping the God. if you were going to start a company with global aspirations, uh, you need to pick your headquarters very closely, don't you? I mean, if you are the CEO of uh, Amazon, for example, in Australia, and you had aspirations to reach uh, other nations with your product, well, you wouldn't set up your headquarters in Tasmania, for example. Apologies if there are any uh, people here from from Tasmania. But it's just not the place to go if you you have big dreams. Uh, (laughs) What's so funny? (laughs) But you would set up headquarters in Sydney or Melbourne or other places where you could have uh, people who could reach out to other nations in, in, in the world. And that's what is going on here. Jesus says that he will meet his disciples in Galilee of the Gentiles because it will be their task to take the good news of Jesus' death and his resurrection to the other nations of the world. And boy, did those disciples do their job. I wonder whether we need to be reminded this morning of the global mission of Jesus, which is to the nations of the world. I'm guessing that the last three years of COVID-19 and lockdowns has largely pushed the idea of mission to the periphery of our thinking. Is that true for you as it is for me? Uh, It's been hard to think beyond our little patch of the world here in Sydney or even beyond our homes. But friends, Jesus' mission has always been to the nations So let's put mission back on the agenda, let's pray for our missionaries, let's give to our missionaries, let's be speaking about Jesus to the nations who have come to us and who work beside us in our workplaces or in our places of study. Let's even consider whether some of us can give up our lives to go long-term to other nations of the world. serve the mission of Jesus well I hope you can see that God's plan and God's mission for this world is much bigger than these four walls that we are sitting here. well uh, if we jump across uh, to the next part of our Bible reading today which comes uh, after the Garden of Gethsemane you can see that the theme of Jesus being alone continues as he approaches his death and you can see it as he is deserted by his friends and you can see it in particular in the way that Jesus is betrayed by Judas can't you remember uh, this is the night before Jesus is going to be crucified on the cross and so Judas must have slipped out uh, during the course of the night Uh, and you can see here in verse 47 that he returns where Jesus and the other disciples are, bringing with him a crowd of people sent by the religious establishment who we've seen are are planning to kill Jesus. It's quite interesting that Judas here is described as one of the twelve, but he's also someone who is with the crowds in Matthew's Gospel are generally those who are opposed to Jesus. And so clearly Judas' problem is that he has a foot in both worlds, which is always a very dangerous thing here. But notice that Judas in verse 48 has prearranged with the crowds to give them a sign to identify Jesus. Probably because it was dark the time, you know, it's it's in the middle of the night, and you probably couldn't see people's faces clearly. But what was the sign? Well, here's the real tragedy. The sign that Judas, uh, the sign that Judas gives is that of a kiss, which is a sign of affection and friendship. Uh, It's not quite the same in our culture especially among men. I mean, I'm guessing that if I um, uh, walked into church this morning and started kissing uh, Andrew Louis, uh, that it would just be a very awkward thing rather than a a friendship thing. But uh, kissing uh, was a common sign of friendship in the time of Jesus. And so Judas kisses Jesus to identify him in order that the crowds might seize him. And Jesus doesn't try to resist Judas, but in verse 50, he simply says, Friend, do what you have come to do. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? When Jesus says, Friend, do what you have come to do, I don't think he was saying this sarcastically. You know, you call yourself a friend, that kind of thing. I think he's genuinely desiring Judas as a friend and he is heartbroken that somebody who has lived with him, breathed with him, witnessed him would betray him in the way that he is doing. However, notice that as the crowds move in to seize Jesus, one of Jesus' other disciples starts to offer some resistance. You know, these crowds have come in with swords and, and clubs, ready for a fight, and so this particular disciple of Jesus is ready to give them what they've come for. For you can see there in verse 51 that he he draws his his own sword. I don't know whether people carried swords uh, as as, a, as routine in those days, but he has a sword with him. He draws his sword and he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest, who is one of the crowds. Now again, you would think that this is a a great sign of bravery on the part of this disciple and something that Jesus would commend, wouldn't you? And yet the strange thing is that in verse 52, this disciple of Jesus does not earn Jesus' praise, but his strong rebuke where Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. All who take the sword will perish by the sword. What is Jesus talking about here? What does it mean when he says, uh, All who take the sword will perish by the sword? And is he just kind of offering a general statement that you know, if you use violence, uh, somehow violence will come back to haunt you? Which may be generally true? Or is he talking about Christians being pacifists and uh, never drawing the sword? Uh, one commentator says that uh, uh, this is a critique of Christians using violence in order to propagate the gospel. And uh, he says that, you know, in, in times and
0: places where Christians have resorted to violence, um, metaphorically what they have done is cut off the ears of the
1: you know, pagan people in that land so that they don't want to hear the gospel. Now that may be true but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Rather I think what Jesus is saying to his disciples is that pulling out the sword in this instance is exactly the same as resisting God's will. Pulling out the sword and trying to stop what is going on is actually opposing Jesus going to the cross. And to reject the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is to perish under the judgment of God for sin. For we've already seen, haven't we, that Jesus is going to the cross so that forgiveness of sin. Why does Matthew not mention this disciple by name? Uh, You might know that in John's Gospel, uh, this particular disciple that pulls out the sword is is who? Anyone know? Peter. (laughs) Yeah, John's Gospel tells us that that it's Peter. Uh, And it's quite fitting that it would be Peter. It's it's very in keeping with his character, isn't Mm -hmm. it? For he's the one that. Has just said i'm willing to die for you jesus and there was some seriousness to, to what he said but i think in this passage peter is not named but he's simply described in verse 51 as one of those who were with jesus so that Matthew can kind of help us to see that as people who are with jesus Peter's folly can also be our folly. For Peter's foolishness here is that he thinks the kingdom of heaven is going to come not through the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross, but by his own might and bravery and strength. Have you and I ever thought like that in our lives? thinking that you can achieve heaven on earth through your own might and strength and ability and wisdom and intelligence, the things you own, the qualifications you can amass. You think you can create heaven on earth by yourself, by your ability to buy your own house or educate your children? in the best places, or to stay healthy in your life. Well, if that is us this morning, then perhaps we also need to hear the rebuke of Jesus. For the kingdom of God is not going to come by our own ability. No matter how smart, or how strong, or how able we are, we are never going to be able to achieve the kingdom of heaven for ourselves. For the kingdom of heaven will not come through these means, but through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by trusting in the cross and all that Jesus has done for us. Well, friends, the final thing I want you to see in our passage this morning is that the betrayal and arrest and eventual death of Jesus on the cross was all part of God's plan for this world. Now, you can see that Jesus knows that this is part of God's plan because uh, you will have noticed that Jesus doesn't resist what is happening to him in this passage. You do notice that when Judas comes to kiss him, he doesn't, you know, try to resist the kiss. Rather, he says, simply, friend, do what you've come to do. So that he doesn't resist the crowds who sees him. It's not that Jesus couldn't resist the crowds. For he says in verse 53, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? Now, when Jesus mentions angels here, I don't think he I don't think we are meant to imagine you know those cute chubby cherubs that kind of fly around in popular culture.
0: Rather, the angels that he speaks about here are described in military
1: terms, you know, One legion in the Roman army was about 6,000 foot soldiers. And so Jesus is talking about 72,000 or more soldiers here. Further in the Old Testament, God's angels often destroyed people for opposing God. He was the angel of death that destroyed every firstborn in Egypt in the Exodus. He was the angel of death that blotted out the lives of entire nations as God led his people into the Promised Land. It was the angel of death that wiped out uh, the whole Assyrian army in Israel's later history. You know, the cra- Coming to arrest Jesus with their puny clubs and swords is a little bit like, you know, going into war with a water pistol, given the firepower that Jesus had at his disposal. And yet, Jesus does not resist his arrest because he knows that God's plan involves. But you can see in our passage that Jesus's betrayal and arrest and eventual death was always a part of God's plan for this world. It's because Matthew tells us that what is happening in the cross of Jesus is a fulfillment of what God had already prophesied in the Old Testament. So that's why Jesus does not resist what is happening. but in verse fifty four, he says, "But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so?" And further, so Jesus says to the crowds in verse fifty-five that you know they had plenty of opportunity to arrest him and to seize him because he was teaching in their temple day after day. But the reason why he is being arrested in this particular way is because it was God's plan all along. In verse fifty-seven, he says. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. I don't think this is a reference to any old uh, particular Old Testament scripture that Jesus has in mind here, but it's a general statement. You know, the Son of Man in uh, the prophet Daniel who receives God's kingdom. You know the suffering servant in the prophet Isaiah who is pierced for our transgressions? You know the new covenant in the prophet Jeremiah who brings forgiveness of sins? All of those things are finding their fulfillment in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because that was God's plan for this world all along. Friends, this morning I began by speaking about loneliness. Uh, we live in a world of loneliness, don't we? We live in a, pe- uh, in a world where people die alone and no one notices for weeks. We live in a world where people visit their GPs, not because they are sick, but because they simply want someone to speak to. We are surrounded by people, but often we feel lonely and disconnected and alienated from one another. Is that true? Jesus was no stranger to loneliness. Look at the very last verse of our passage this morning. It says, "And all the disciples left Lord Jesus must have felt as his closest friends left him in his greatest hour of life. And yet here's the remarkable truth of the gospel, friends. Jesus endured loneliness and suffering and even a God-forsaken death on the cross so that Disciples will never be alone. But we've seen it already in Jesus' promise, haven't we, that after the resurrection, he will be with them. And we see it in the whole of Matthew's Gospel itself. For if you remember, at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, what name is Jesus given at his birth? He's given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us the very end of Matthew's gospel, in the Great Commission, do you remember what Jesus says to his disciples? He says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now friends, you and I are sinful people, are we not? We are those who often ignore Jesus' words and deny him and abandon him in our lives. But if you are a disciple of Jesus, then know that Jesus has suffered not only the abandonment of his friends, but ultimately the abandonment of the Father himself as he paid the penalty on that cross that your sins and my sins deserved. So that we deserted so that we would not be deserted by the one who matters most in your times of loneliness will you know Jesus as your Emmanuel who has promised to never leave you or forsake you? thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that even though he was not received by his very own people, even though he was betrayed by one of his own, even though he was deserted by his closest friends, he went to the cross so that we might not be deserted by you for our sin. I thank you that he is our man who has promised to be with us and to never leave us or forsake us. Father, we pray especially this morning for those who may be feeling alone and isolated among us. We pray that uh, in this difficulty that uh, you would help them to know the friendship of Jesus and your presence in their lives, as well as the love and care of others in our church family. Father, we long for that day when loneliness and isolation and depression will be a thing of the past and we can enjoy your presence forever in your kingdom. But Father, in the meantime, we pray that you would help us to be uh, people who do not ignore your word and your plan for this world in our lives. Help us especially to be those who align ourselves to your plan for the gospel to reach the nations. We pray that you would put on our hearts a concern for the lost in this world, as well as those in our lives who are yet to know you. And please give us the courage to speak of Christ and the good news that is found in you. And we ask for your mercy that you would draw many to yourself so that they also might know the of Jesus as they